0: Proud How are you? I'm Connor Brown. And I am Matthew Scherfreyer. And on today's show, we have Stephanie Shaw. Now, fun fact about Stephanie Shaw listeners, she was the one who introduced me to Connor mm-hmm. and Connor to me. Yes. And us to Griffin. Yeah. So it's like the circle of life. Well, the circle of life. <laughs> Stephanie Shaw is the uh, the reason of us. That's true What else does she do, Connor? Um, So she is a faculty member at Columbia College, if you didn't get that hint Um, She also was a critic at the Chicago Reader And she was also a a member of the Neo-Futurists We talk about her growing up Being married to her husband Oh yeah, Brian Shaw Yep, and solo
1: performance Mm -hmm. Yep, so uh, listen away
0: Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Connor. (laughs) How are you?
1: I'm excellent this morning. Thank you.
0: That's good. Thank you so much for being here and joining our podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Have you been on very many podcasts before? I have never, ever been on a podcast. This is my first. We're busting my cherry, my podcast cherry. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, <laughs> oh,
0: I love it. Good, we yeah, did it. That's fun. yeah. Start off the
1: bucket list. Wow. Well, for our listeners
0: who don't know, mm-hmm. Stephanie was our professor mm-hmm. last fall. Uh, the class was acting styles realism. Oh dear! Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, actually, this is your fault because we did not know each other prior to your class. Oh, yeah. You,
1: partner, so you partnered up. You partnered
0: up. It's because of Hedda <laughs> Hedda Gabler. Hedda
1: Gabler. You guys were. I I have to say it was brilliant casting on my part. Yeah, oh, that was yeah. A great scene. Because the two of you, uh, no one can see this, but Matthew is very tall. Yeah. Yes, and Connor <laughs> is petite, and they were like a little a little. Comic duo, even mm-hmm. though the scene was not funny no, at no. all because it's had a gabbler. Besides the, water. Besides the water.
0: Uh, also, uh, during your final, Connor, Stephanie Shaw goes up to me, she goes, Matthew. Just a reminder of whose scene this is. Yeah, don't
1: think my Yeah, seat. it was, well, it was you and Griffin. It was me <laughs> and Griffin. The two of you started to take the scene over. <laughs> you didn't even have any lines. Let's, um, so you've been at
0: Columbia for a long time now because you were originally a student, correct?
1: I was. I went there, I, I joined Columbia in 1983 when all of us were lying around the third floor smoking cigarettes. And just flicking our ashes right onto the floor, and we would sit in class with Shalda Patinkin going on and on in his lovely way. It was he was fascinating, and we would sit there and smoke, all of us. Um, hmm. And it was it was kind of an amazing time to be there because it was a ragamuffin school. Um, David Cromer was there in his pajamas. Uh, Jim Zulevik was there with his irreverence and his craziness. Um, Who else? Oh, those are the the two that come to mind. I was there for three years, and then I ran out of money, Mm -hmm. which happens to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it had to do with Ronald Reagan. I think it had to do with the Pell Grant. I I didn't get a Pell Grant, so Mm -hmm. I couldn't continue. And I said, well, that's fine. I'm a working actress, Um, which meant I was working for free Mm -hmm. around Chicago, and I didn't rely on the department my artistic uh, uh, efforts anymore. So I stopped and I did a whole ton of work in non-equity theater around Chicago in between 86 and 90. And then in 1990, uh, it was momentous. I married Brian Shaw. And Brian had a job at Columbia College. And I went, oh, free education now. So I went back and I finished my undergrad Ah. in 92. Yeah, it was 92. I encourage anyone who has ever left school to go back as a 25 or a 26-year-old. You just, you get it done. You, you're you you're no longer you're not one of those you know flighty nineteen year olds. Mm-hmm. You're you're 26. You're there for a reason, by God. And you just you go, oh, this is the coolest class ever. I'm learning some. This is so great. Or you go, all right, I have to take this class. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do what I have to do to get through it. I'm going to get through it really well and really efficiently and get on with my life. Um, so I, I was there as an undergrad as an older person and I believe older person 26 now I say that and I'm like ha, ha 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 uh uh so I graduated my undergrad in like 94 I went back in 05 for my graduate degree in creative writing oh. <laughs> <laughs> Very different. Yes, yeah. and uh, took a little time out to go to London with my family, and then came back and finished and finished up my degree in creative writing in 2008, which I remember because I remember delivering my thesis to good old Randy Albers and Joe Mino um, of the creative writing department at the time, um, and I had this, I had the big box of my manuscript that I was so proud of and I was walking down Michigan Avenue and, uh, Barack Obama was running for president and, and there were, there was all this huge foof going on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, um, prior to the election and everybody was feeling good. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, something's gonna happen here. Something might happen. And, and, um, uh, I've since published two stories from that collection of like seven wow. <laughs> and two of them I can't I have to get rid of I have to get rid of two stories that I wrote because I wrote them in 2005 before I, I had an understanding of my own biases and mm-hmm. how stereotypes are um, dangerous mm-hmm. and hurtful and uh, I actually, okay, I'm going to just lay it all out. I, I have I have a story in which I used the trope of the magical negro. And I didn't even know it. I didn't even know there was such a thing back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Although I remember I hated the Green Mile for that reason. But I didn't <laughs> understand why. Yeah, You know, I was just like, oh, come on. that You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, if we have to have a... I love diversity, but the only big black man in the entire movie is going to be like magic. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I've learned a few things along the way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I teach acting even though I have a major in creative writing. What made you want to switch to creative writing? Um, I've always been a writer, mm-hmm. and I started falling out of love with performing at a certain point. I just... Um, I mean, I love most plays, but I didn't like the plays I was in a lot of the time. Um, and sometimes that was because I wanted to be the director, so I became a director as well. And sometimes that was because my, uh, I played the same role over and over again. I was always the smart-ass friend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, I had always been sort of what I call a closet writer. And I also, I wrote uh, theater reviews for the Chicago Reader for about three years, I yeah. think it was, and, uh, and everyone always liked my reviews and told me I was a good writer. Um, they liked the mean ones especially. <laughs> the mean ones are really easy to write. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of people on my back telling me I should write, so I did, so I wrote. And I knew that I wouldn't write unless I had a reason to, which is why I went and got the master's, because I knew I'd have deadlines then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, since I've graduated, I have not done a whole lot of serious fiction writing. I write essays, I write monologues. Monologues I have to perform, which is a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to memorize them anymore. Yeah. I, just, I just want to hold the thing in my hand and talk, which is why I like things like uh, the paper machete. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's in the green mill. Journalists, entertainers, uh, raconteurs, provocateurs, <laughs> uh, we we get up and, and we talk at the mic. Hmm. And you can have your piece of paper
0: there. <laughs> so much Oh my yeah. God. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, it's a cliche, but the older you get, for some of us, it's yeah. just like, I don't want to memorize those lines anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. want to have to have all that anxiety over what is my next line or will I get it right when we know as artists that that is not important. That shouldn't be important. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm the most anxious about. And the first thing I teach is like, you know, the lines you just have to simply have, they're Mm -hmm. not important, Mm -hmm. but they are, it's like, I think Paula Mendes says this, it's like coming to a tennis match without your racket if you don't have your lines. Yeah. But the game is what's important, but you can't play the game if you don't have
0: your racket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so actually let's go back to the very beginning with a little tiny Stephanie, (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh dear so where did you grow up i grew up in arlington heights arlington illinois heights, which is nice. a northwest suburb of chicago yeah okay.
0: and what was your relationship like with your family as a young little
1: child oh dear okay um i have a brother who is seven years older than me mm-hmm. um and i adore him but we don't live close we okay. you know he's in phoenix um and we call every once in a while um and I have a sister who is six years older than me, who I adore, and I just had lunch with the other day, and she lives nice. in Cary, Illinois. Um, so she lives in the suburbs, um, very close to my mother, who is still alive, is 83, and lives in Crystal Lake, so, you know, northwest suburbs. And my dad passed away in 1999, um, when I was pregnant with twins, heavily pregnant with twins. <laughs> um I grew up in Arlington Heights at a time when it was just beginning to boom. There were a lot of houses going up, being built in my neighborhood. And what I remember the most is we would go into these empty half-built houses, the neighborhood kids, mm-hmm. and we'd just climb around in there, you know, with all the rebar sticking out and, and planks and ladders yeah. and unfinished stairs. And, and our parents would just let us go in there. We would go in th- I remember being in there at Twilight, and it was, it was like it was um, it was like a Shirley Jackson story. I swear to God, it was uh, magical and frightening. Yeah. And I do remember one of my friends sort of friends. We were all sort of (laughs) friends. There was was a lot going on. Um, uh, I remember her fall, she climbed high. Because they were all two-story houses. They they were all big houses being built for uh, this this newish suburb. And uh, one of my friends climbed very high and then fell into a pile of lumber. And she was... Totally, she was fine, but she was scratched up really badly. It was summer, her legs were covered with scratches, bruises, scratches all over her, and she said to me, Let's tell my mom I fell off my bike. (laughs) Ah,
0: ah, ah. And
1: did she believe it? I wasn't there for that. Uh. I I wasn't going to go in and see that. I was was afraid of her father. Uh. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. I was afraid of everybody's father. I didn't like fathers, Mm. um, uh, including my own. He was was not a big part of my life. But Dad scared me. I, I would go over to friends' houses, and I loved their mothers, and they were all very sweet and everything. And then the minute Dad came home from work, I would say, I have to leave now. Um, because dad scared me, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, my relationship with my own dad. He was like a tornado. He was like, you know, you never knew what... It's like living in tornado country, Mm -hmm. when you're in the house with somebody like my dad, who is gone now. Your house might not be hit by the tornado, but there are funnel clouds, and so you go to the basement anyway, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you hunker down, and you stay out of sight. Uh, My dad had a lot of emotional weather. Mm. Um, and I did not have a close relationship with him, um, although he tried he just didn 't know how to do it. I think he was of that generation of men mm. he is of that generation of men who never changed a diaper, never did a load of laundry uh, never um, never had anything to do with the house really you know they and I think that uh, the fathers of that generation were the last of those. I think after that, men started going, hey, I'd kind of like to be around my babies. Yeah. You know, I'd kind of like to be a part of this. Um, but back then, no, no, um, he, he, didn't, uh, he, he didn't really partake. And he had issues. So um, he was an alcoholic, and I think he was a thwarted artist, Mm -hmm. Um, he played saxophone but never I never saw him do it Mm -hmm. and I I don't think he ever picked it up by the time i have been born Mm -hmm. my mom and him were divorced when I was 12 and we we grew up I grew up in a very very secretive household very Mm -hmm. secretive Um, for instance I woke up one day I was 12 years old and there was a for sale sign in the front yard and Mm -hmm. I'm doing dishes with my mom, she's Mm -hmm. washing, I'm drying, and I said, um, mom, (laughs) are we moving? (laughs) And she said, yes, and daddy's not coming with us. And I said, that's all right, I like it better when it's just you and me anyway. Mm -hmm. And that was that, that was like the big, uh, you know, moment, the big, in a, in, a, in a family drama mm-hmm. or a very special sitcom, yeah. um, a very special episode of Family house, <laughs> Family yeah. Matters or Full House or whatever, <laughs> there would have been a, a moment in the living room where everyone got together. No, it was just, are we moving? Yeah, and he's not coming. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we didn't, we weren't, I think my yen for honesty and truth-telling comes from not necessarily being stifled, I don't feel like anyone stifled me. I just feel like I grew up in a place that did not encourage people to talk about what was actually going on, what their thoughts were about anything, um, and to tiptoe around any sort of issues that might be going on. Mm -hmm. And to this day, (laughs) if I write a monologue to perform, my mother says, oh, Stephanie, doesn't have to be about the family (laughs) (laughs) she hates it that I do that and it's crazy because she doesn't even know she doesn't know what I talk about she hasn't seen me perform in at least 25 years Mm -hmm. and she was not I mean it's just not her thing you know so that whole business of uh she's very proud of me for um my husband whom she adores, <laughs> um, and my children, whom she loves beyond reason mm. and, and and I have a house and and that really floats her boat. Mm. Mm. But again, I think it's just it's a generational thing. Mm. Um, she comes from a, a, a farming background. She grew up in Idaho, a farm girl, I believe a family of seven children.
0: Wow.
1: yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, there are things you just don't talk about. You Mm -hmm. just don't talk about these things. Um, And theater, Mm -hmm. I mean, she has no clue. She has no idea. Uh, She used to go see some things that I did in high school, but it does not really float her boat. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the things I've written, I think, have distressed her, so I stopped sending them to her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, let's actually talk about
1: mm-hmm. your mom, your parents. Yeah. When you said, "Hey, I have an interest in theater and acting." Mm-hmm. What was their take? Um, I don't remember my father's take cuz okay. I don't think I told him. Okay. I think I just did the stuff mm-hmm. and let him know. I mean, I did he I remember him he came to see a show of mine in college. But that was pretty much the last show that he saw. And then I let him know that I was doing this other stuff. And I still remember, actually, I got very, um, I think I was 20 20 or 21, and I I did my first sort of show out in the non-equity community Mm -hmm. in Chicago. And I really thought that he should maybe come and see it. I had a leading role. I was singing, la, 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 la. And, um... And closing night, he had, by closing night he had not shown up. Mm. Mm. And th- this is the thing about parents is you think they don't affect you, but they totally do. I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I sat backstage and cried and cried and cried. And I still remember Rick Boynton, who is now I think like a casting director and director over at Chicago Shakespeare. Mm and Lynn Baber who I was in the show with Lynn Baber. Um, Oh my God. She's just been everywhere, done everything. Um, she's done a lot of casting. Um, she used to work at Northlight, I think, um, I remember Rick kind of coming toward me to comfort me and Lynn Baber saying, leave her alone, let her get it out. You know, in, in this really beautiful, very motherly, you know, parental way. Cause she's yeah. a little older than me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he never he never I think it's weird, in a weird way he was proud of me, but he didn't really want to know what I entailed as a human being. He, uh, you know, it's it's the way that I like men. I like them in theory. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're my husband. My mm-hmm. husband, I love the details of him mm-hmm. and that's why I married him. His mm-hmm. details are great. He's a specific individual. Um, but I find that I like men a lot in art and mm. in theater um, and and in literature. But man, ask me to spend some time around a whole bunch of men, and, and I just go, no, thanks, <laughs> thanks that's, that's fine. Yeah. Matthew, you're looking at me like I understand. I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he liked me. My, my father was proud of me in theory, but he never actually knew what I did mm-hmm. or what I thought mm. or how I felt. And that was, mm, some of it was his fault. And a lot of it was mine because I learned to cover very early. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he was a bit, I, well, I will just say it out loud, he was a bit abusive. Not to me, never to me, but I was living in an abusive household. The, thus, the tornado weather. Yeah. Yeah. You know, So it's he was always going to hit someone else. But that didn't mean I was ever safe. Right? Um, and then when he uh, divorced, when my mom divorced him, he just sort of spiraled down you know he had uh, the italians i call them my grandmother and his and my aunt his sister and his mother who enabled him and took care of him the rest of his life mm-hmm. and he died before they did when i was hugely pregnant with the twins and then and i called it too i said they're going to go like dominoes once sam my dad goes grandma's going to go then aunt jean is going to go and then all of the Italians were out of my life and I have nothing against Italians. Italians in general fine people. Yeah. yeah. These Italians were everything every like negative stereotype or cliche you could ever <laughs> encounter about an Italian could be applied to these folks <laughs> along with the really great detail of the cooking. I mean, oh. really just Yeah. Fabulous, fabulous food. My mom, I told her I was going to college to study acting, and she went, okay. <laughs> she, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, she did say after three years, well, we can't afford this anymore. You know, which was, I mean, she was, uh, she's a very practical lady and she had to be um, because she, uh, you know, she uh, supported a household. Once my father lost his job, um, she supported a household and then she divorced him and she supported me. And my sister married early, so got out of the house and my brother did, you know, what men do. Which is, he went to college and left Illinois. Uh, so, so she was, I mean, you know, the woman was busy. Mm-hmm. I, kinda, I don't fault her for not wanting to go to theater. And I think it's also one of the reasons I always fear that theater is too elitist. Um, because those of us with real problems, maybe we have a hard time getting to the theater. Maybe the theater doesn't mean what we as actors or theater people like to think it means. Maybe it is not part... Michael Maher, in his last show, uh, It Is Magic, he says at one point, he has a character say, mm-hmm. the theater is not part of the town hall or the town square. Let's face it. Theater is not part a huge part of the community, um, which is a scary thing to hear and also... It rang a bell of truth in me. I was just like, it, you know, uh, I live in Oak Park. Mm-hmm. Really lovely people live in Oak Park. They they went to go see Wicked. Yeah. You know, they went to go. They go see whatever's playing at the at uh, the big touring houses. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. right. Chicago yeah. Broadway. Um, yeah, but when they hear I'm a performer, they they don't know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. unless I've done Wicked. Mm-hmm. Or a show at the Goodman, they might they might know the Goodman, mm-hmm. and they might know Steppenwolf. They might, but they haven't been there. Yeah, they haven't gone to see it, and they didn't certainly go to see Ms. Black for President. Oh, definitely. Even though we're you know Oak Park, huge liberal, mm-hmm. but they don't even know Ms. Black for President is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. they don't know anything about the out of the way theater. Um, that is so beautiful here, the, the, the weirdness, the weird, the wild, the wacky, the window into a different way of thinking about life is not available to them because, well, first of all, they can probably get it through other means. You can get it through a book, mm-hmm. and you can read a book at home and stop and go get a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> and then come back and pick the book back up you know? mm-hmm. and it doesn't cost you any money yeah. and you don't have to park yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, again it's not to say that they're not lazy and they might be getting this through other means but sometimes I think the theater community takes itself too seriously I, I really appreciate the people who take theater out into the parks. Mm-hmm. Who just did that? Was it Free Street? Who just Free did? Street did
0: have their like 50 year anniversary, and they yeah. had theater and you know?
1: the, and they did 50 yeah. uh, uh, pieces in 50 different parks, mm-hmm. and they just did it. Mm-hmm. And people who were walking by went what? And maybe and maybe they stopped and watched, and mm-hmm. maybe they didn't. Um, but I, I, I mean that's taking theater into public square, and it's also using folks who aren't necessarily trained actors, which I like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Just get someone else from yeah. the street. Come do this. That's well, if you know, it's like putting a cat on the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That is. Like, nice. Let's watch the person who's not trained and see what they do, because whatever they do, it's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I have this back and forth with art and theater. And um, I, there are times when I watch some actors on a stage and I relax and I go, oh, okay. They, they know what they're doing. I'm, I'm in good hands. They're in control. And then about 20 minutes later, I go, oh, my mm-hmm. God, they really know what they're doing. They're totally in control. And now I get to watch them act. <laughs> <sighs> mm-hmm. the whole body length changed yep. yeah oh god if I'm sitting next to my husband he's perfected his. Uh, he, he, well he's older now we're both older we're starting to enjoy you know being really middle aged instead of like kind of middle aged <laughs> and when he rolls his eyes now you can hear the creak I swear <laughs> to god <laughs> 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 he, he is not uh, any size um uh uh, wow i was a hell of a critic let me tell you for the reader
0: how did you get involved with the chicago reader
1: um well this was it's an interesting uh story and it has to do with bill williams albert williams (laughs) who had been a a teacher of mine uh, at columbia he tried to teach me how to sing he tried to teach me how to belt I never did get to belt until much later in my career when I went, oh, that's how you do it, which is the story of every class you've ever taken. Yeah. Yeah, Right? Pretty much. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, I had decided at the age of 25 I was going to quit acting. I was never going to act again. I was leaving theater. Mm -hmm. It's boring, and I'm never going to get what I want, and... I think Brian and I had both auditioned for Hamlet, and he got a call back, and I didn't. And I was pissy and tired, and I didn't want to go audition anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just decided to reject theater entirely. And then there was the question of well, what are you going to do? So um, I was going, I, what I was going to do was, I was going to go back to school for a while. Um, and finish my degree, my undergrad, because I was now married to Brian, and, and I could do it for free. Um, if any of you, if you ever find yourself related to a, a college instructor, please take advantage of Just the free it. classes. <laughs> yeah. um, and as I was signing up for school, who do I run into but Bill Williams, And this was back in the day when a bunch of instructors sat in a room at tables and signed you up for classes by hand with pens and pencils and pieces of paper. And you got to talk to the instructor. And and it was time-intensive and work-intensive, but I do miss it. Um, And I happened to run into Bill, and he signed me up for something. And I said, I was feeling cocky. Um, And I said to Bill, say, how do I get to write for that rag of yours? (laughs) Because I knew I could be sassy with Bill. Yeah. Um, And he went, oh, well, we need someone, actually. Um, So he suggested that I... He, in fact, told me, go out, see a couple of shows... And write some specs mm-hmm. and then send them to me and I'll send them on to our editor. And the funny thing about my specs when I went to write them was I reviewed Greg Cotis um, in back when they were doing when they were in Cardiff Giant. Mm-hmm. Greg Cotis, John Hildreth, Scott Herms, Laura T. Fisher. I went to go see something called Aftertaste. Um, which was hilarious and wonderful and all those and you know they had written it and it was a musical Um, and I I recognize this now it was the bones of Urinetown it was about it was about something called fatal food where they had cans of food yeah just cans of food and uh, if you ate three cans you died and it became a huge thing. And they were, it was selling like hotcakes, I tell you. Uh-huh. Um, and it was uh, audacious and wonderful. And, and I wrote a review of it, never knowing, not realizing that about five years later, I was going to be working with Greg Codis And I was going to be over there at the Neo-Futurarium mm-hmm. having a good time. Um, but for then, I wrote a couple of reviews, sent them into the editor. The editor said, this is bullshit. Um <sighs> Mm-hmm. because that's what editors do yeah. Yeah. she said why are you why are you writing this uh, what has it got to say why does this piece of theater exist and that was really my first lesson I think in in approaching theater from a point of view of a real artist of like why does this thing exist as an actor it existed so I could have a part in it mm-hmm. <laughs> And if I couldn't have a part in it, I didn't care if it existed, right? Unless a friend was in it, mm-hmm. and then I would go see it to see my friend. Yeah. But this editor, and I wish I could remember her name, said, why Why this piece of theater? Why is it being done? Why now? What's it got to say? Why is it relevant? Um, you know, aside from the director's mother coming to see it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I sulked. In the bathtub, which is where I did all my best sulking when I was 25. I that's a good place to it. Yeah, in the bathtub with a little, um, I think it was Blackberry Brandy back then. Mm. Blackberry Brandy and Teddy Graham's. In a <laughs> candlelit bath. Yes. Going, oh, what's wrong with my review? She said, this was wrong with my review. I <laughs> have to rewrite it. <laughs> um, so I got over the sulk and I rewrote it and I sent it in and they said, okay, you're going to go see this, this, and this next week. (gasps) And I started going to see theater, and I started taking theater apart and thinking about it, and having to put it down in black and white, knowing people were going to read it. Mm -hmm. It was scary. It was really, really scary, and I did it for a couple of years until my friend Jamie Pacino, who um, now is a gigantic, really successful writer of TV shows, like she was on Halt and Catch Fire, she was on well she did a lot of the Dick Wolf stuff here, for which we we shouldn't blame her Um, yeah you know, you do what you can Um, she's she's wrote on some really amazing shows, um, and we were in a show together early on in our careers, and uh, she called me up after I wrote this review, and she said stop get out, don't do it now you have to you have to save yourself because mm-hmm. I'd written a really mean spirited uh, review of a piece of theater, um, which was a very bad piece of theater, and mm-hmm. she she copped to that, but she said, "This is your your teeth are too sharp, and, and <laughs> you're going to bloody your own mouth soon. You have to be careful." She didn't say that. I just made that up. It would be cool, though, right? Yeah, if she had really said mean, it like I that. that, yeah, I like that yeah, I like that, too. I like that image. Um, <laughs> I actually, I think that image is coming because I'm reading Toni Morrison right now. Because, oh, you know, when yeah. she died last week, I was just like, God, I should yeah. be reading t- Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's summer. I, yeah. should be reading oh my my, I should be reading things before I can't. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's why I'm thinking in images, because of good old Toni Morrison. Um, but yeah, she said I was getting nasty. Mm-hmm. And that I needed to get rid of the critic. I needed to drop the critic and go back into producing my own art. Mm-hmm. And she was really, really right. And if you have a friend like that, you're very, very lucky. Yeah. I was honest. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just like, look, this is this is this thing is not an excellent thing, and I'm going to tell you why, Um, which is very funny because, and I was 25, 26, 27 when I was writing these, and I had, of course, the confidence of youth as well as the total lack of confidence of youth, um, which can make someone doubly nasty, Uh, you know, and you guys know you've had me in class now. I've gone from... You know, the latter half of my life has been discovering that there is no good or bad. Mm -hmm. There is only, when art is concerned, effective or not effective. Confusing, right? There's only, this is effective because, I won't let anyone say I like it Mm -hmm. in class. They have to say it's effective so that I can say, why is it effective? As opposed to, I really liked this because then I have to say, why would you like it? And then that leads us to opinion and opinion is baloney. Mm-hmm. right um, so so i was I knew so much when I was twenty seven and I think the older I get, the more I realize i just don 't know anything, and we have to just keep picking apart and picking apart and picking mm-hmm. apart so that was that was that was the critical years um, that was also the time i I kind of wrapped it up around the time I had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. so that was I think you know it was kind of like. <laughs> a miscarriage. Can I go home now? (laughs) You know, it was a little like, look, I'm not having fun anymore and I don't feel good and we're trying to start a family and we're having a hard time doing it and I don't want to go see other people's shows. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of ineffective theater Mm -hmm. out there that didn't know why it was there or what it wanted to be Mm -hmm. and um, I have an old student who just came to visit me uh, two weeks ago with his wife and his baby (gasps) yeah Mm-hmm. And and he we, we get into this argument a lot about the use of theater because he's a true believer and he he lives in Iowa and he has started his own theater company mm-hmm. and he's bringing plays to the heartland that usually uh, are not so they have to be plays that have never been done in Iowa before mm-hmm. so he's bringing In Calamity West mm-hmm. and I Calter you know to the heartland which is a, a fabulous mission as far as I'm concerned. But he just looks at me like I'm an idiot when I start to talk about whether theater is really useful or not. And he said, we're telling stories. Storytelling is really important. And that's when I have to go, well, I'll pour you another drink. (laughs) You're right. You're absolutely right. Touche, sir.
0: Well, thinking of kind of more out-of-the-box theater, the neo-futurists, and you're involved with them.
1: Yeah, Um, well, when I gave up theater forever, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and then I spent some time writing about it Mm -hmm. and grew to not like it very much, uh, I was at a loss. And uh, my husband had just started working with what would become Plasticine Physical Theater Company. So he had his artistic outlet, and I did not have mine. And that was not sitting very well yeah. <laughs> in the household. Like, grr. Um, I mean, I didn't even really cook. You know, I had no artistic outlet. And and we were struggling to have a baby. So, Because uh, for me, everything is a metaphor. So, uh, I can't produce anything. <laughs> Nothing is working with me. And uh, they were having auditions. And I knew a bunch of those folks because Brian had been in a show. So they were having auditions. And uh, my lovely husband, who is really, uh, you know, I suggest if, you, if you're going to get a partner, get a partner who looks at you and says, you should really try this. Even when you go, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. and as I've learned to say to him I hate out loud challenges (laughs) because there'll be a show that I want to direct kind of but I don't know if I do because I don't really understand this show I said of Three Penny Opera once I said I love the music but I don't think I understand the show and he said well now you have to direct it I just went oh fuck you (laughs) (laughs) But he encouraged me to audition. You always need an encourager. You know, you have those dark midnights of the soul where you think you can't do anything. It's really good to have someone who just goes, just go try it. Just try it. It's not a big deal. So I wrote a little something really fast, and I brought it in, and they were lovely. When I walked in the room, I I walked in the room, and they all went, oh, Mrs. Shaw, because they had worked with Brian before, yeah. so I was Mrs. Shaw, and they were all my age, so the Mrs. was kind of like a joke. <laughs> like, you know, I'm an old married lady. Mm-hmm. I was 30, um, and stunning, if I may say. My my picture used to be painted above the ladies' room toilet, oh. There was a time at the New Futurarium when they got this really lovely artist in and they painted our, you know, our little uh, uh, shots that we took, our little um, photo booth shots for the program. They took those and painted them in the bathrooms. So they were all over the place and I happened to be right above the toilet with my daughter, because I had one of my photo shots was with my, you know, my infant daughter in my mm-hmm. arms, kind of looking out at the audience. And, and for the longest time, Spencer was really pleased by the fact that <laughs> she and I were featured above one of the toilets at the <laughs> terrarium. And before I could get a picture of it, because I wasn't there a lot during yeah. that time, they painted over it. They painted oh, it over everything. So I did not get it. Um... Uh, but they made me feel very comfortable and very welcome, and um, and I was called back, and I worked for a very long time on my callback material, and thus it was not as good. It was very convoluted. It was it was uh, it was reaching. It was, it was kind of an awful piece. Um, but they, I feel like they took me on the basis of that very first piece, that very first audition. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was pure what I've come to look at as you know first thoughts um and you guys have had this I'm sure where you just you work and work and work on something and it gets so convoluted and deep that you lose what you meant to say in the first place and this was this was just boom first thoughts throw it out there and see if it lands and often it does um and uh, so, at the age of thirty, I started working with the Neo Futurists, and they helped me find my voice. That's I, awesome. I, I, I blame it all on them. <laughs> I totally, do. They were a sweet crew, but also very opinionated, uh, very pushy, very funny. Sometimes it was just like, oh my god, you people are exhausting. <laughs> um, kind-hearted, but also like true artists who, if they had a problem with some of your material, would say, well... I remember David Kadesky saying, that's a really good piece into the last line when you just flush the whole thing down the toilet. And because he said that, I said, that last line is staying. <laughs> and, and the piece stayed in too much light for a couple of weeks, and every time it came up, he said, that last line is still really crappy and i would go yeah Yeah. it's in yeah that's why it's in in. um uh but yeah they really helped me they helped me figure things out they helped me understand that um honesty uh uh there's no moral i don't have a moral judgment about honesty i think i think lying is great um Uh, unless you're in office, in government office, then I think you shouldn't lie. I mean, storytelling is sometimes lying, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that I observed about the New Futurarium is we were sold out all the time. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing was just trotting ourselves out in front of people in a crafted way. I mean, you know, we were just idiots, (laughs) you know, like putting buckets on our heads and dancing, although we did do that. Um, There was a sense of why were people coming to see this when I had done so many shows for audiences of like 12, Mm -hmm. you know, I did Jane Eyre for an audience of 12 I was not Jane Eyre, by the way, of course. Who
0: were you?
1: I was Blanche Ingram, who is Rochester's uh, stuck-up amour, would-be would amour. She's very rich. And she's from a neighboring castle or something. She comes in to make Jane Eyre feel really bad about herself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and she's not there very much. Yeah. So I, I just I remember standing behind a curtain, making sound effects, making you know <laughs> whales sound effects. <laughs> not well, not whales as in oh, whales, but like whales in North of England. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whales. You, yeah, that's on your, that's on your resume. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes, can do whale well noises. Yes, I, noise, I, st- noise, I stood behind. Noise, I stood behind like the, uh, the curtain with the rest of the ensemble and went rippling, rippling. Rippling, 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 because ah. it was story theater, you know, so they were the, so parts of the narration were in there mm-hmm. we yeah. Were, yeah, so anyway, twelve people, you know I had done I'd done a very funny restoration show. It was very funny, and I was very good at it, and I was in a big, huge, hot, heavy dress, and there was no air conditioning, oh. and it was August. And, and there were like, you know, 11 people in the audience, 10 people in the audience for a three-hour pig of a play. Imagine that. Imagine one wanting to come see a restoration, a three-hour restoration comedy mm-hmm. in a basement in Pilsen. And, and, you know, and some good shows, too. There's, there was nothing wrong with them. They were solid. But people didn't care. They weren't coming to see it. Mm-hmm. And then I did Too Much Light for five years. and And... There wasn't a weekend we didn't fill that house up twice a night and a pretty good house on Sunday as well. So what was going on? You know What was, what was the story that we were telling that was so different that it brought people in? Um, and part of it, too, was that it... Part of it, I think, was that it, uh, uh, Greg Allen was pretty damn brilliant. It panders to those with short attention spans... Mm -hmm. Because if you don't like something, wait a few minutes, it'll be over, you'll move on to the next. But I think it had to do with the sense that, you know, we never were pretending anything on stage. It was always just, and they're still doing it, and it's called, of course, The Infinite Wrench now. Um, And they're still doing it, they're doing a great job of... Uh, just going on stage and saying, hey, here's my human experience. There's two minutes of my human experience. So it has to be quick. It has to be detailed. It has to be honest. Um, And if you're pretending, you get the fun of saying to the audience, I am pretending. Come pretend with me. (laughs) And they love that. Um, And it also includes the audience. You know, there's no fourth wall, which we always made a point of saying... Um, I always liked to give the opening little speech that sort of went around all to all of us. We all had to do it at a certain on a certain week. And I like doing the opening speech because I like telling the audience there is no fourth wall here. We know you're here. It would be rude if we ignored you. Um, so the audience isn't ignored. They're invited to participate, you know, although if they started to participate in a way that we did not like, we would shut them down. Yeah. So it was what I like to call controlled chaos. And I believe, yes, yes. I believe that yes. has happened. I believe, I believe there, there were moments, maybe it was me, maybe it was Anita, it was somebody who just looked an audience member in the eye and said, I'm talking now, fella. Ah, yes. <laughs> you know, because we would get drunk teenagers. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and you know, I, I think we did teach them a little bit about how an audience is supposed to behave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's seen as this fella?
0: (laughs) So you started at Columbia a solo performance class.
1: Yes, I did. That came about, I I just moved to Oak Park. I was a newish mother with three three very little children. um, And I was a little frustrated. Everything happens when you're frustrated, I believe. I think you have to, for myself, I have to get frustrated before I'll do anything. You know, because otherwise it's a nice warm bath. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm comfortable and why should I leave my comfy space um, but uh, I was I was teaching acting and I was starting to get a little desperate because I wasn't again I wasn't having the best time in the world and I was wondering I'd done the neo-futurists and I had to stop because I had three small children chained to my breasts um, and uh, I wanted to somehow keep that going. I wanted to share it. I wanted to again with uh I was really busy trying to make students into good actors. And then I started saying, why am I doing this? <laughs> Many of these people are not gonna be actors. You know? I love them all. And 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 is there not them not being actors, is that such a bad thing? No. Does the world need more actors? Oh, what would make these people better actors? Honesty. Um, uh, how how can we reach honesty when a lot of the faculty? I never did this to my credit, but like you know, twenty year olds playing George and Martha from Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see the I, di- I didn't see the point mm-hmm. of it. You know, um, I I felt like these are interesting people. The students are always interesting people, but they're not allowed to explore their own voice. And as an actor, that's why I left theater, strict theater, because I felt like, where's my voice in all this? There's a director who I am, you know, politely uh, doing what they tell me. Um, And there's a playwright. How am I an artist in all of this? Uh, um, and there are actors who are artists and all of that and they're the ones who are amazing they're the ones who are just, you know, they're channeling this fire and they have such empathy that they can totally dive into somebody else's character, right? Mm-hmm. and you know them when you see them and they're very alive on stage um, I-, I was never that good an actor I was okay, I mean, you know yeah, I was okay <laughs> I wasn't terrible uh, uh, but there was something missing, um, and I was getting tired of teaching acting. And at that time, um, Sheldon Pitinkin, our uh, our chair, was making life really, really comfortable for me and Brian. He was making sure we had what we need. We had three tiny children... And he made sure that I, that I taught on Mondays and Wednesdays. <laughs> and that Brian taught on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So that we could switch off, yeah. you know. Um, and then I realized, you know, uh, through the Neo-Futurarium, I had been putting on solo shows. I had done some solo shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my solo show ducked, actually, which I wrote when the boys were not even a year old. Um, I remember speaking to them through the mesh of a playpen. <laughs> and it kind of saved my life mm-hmm. because I was starting to feel that new mother like, I am trapped, I am trapped, I am yeah. trapped, which new mothers often feel because you're just like, I am totally at the mercy of these babies. Where did I go? Meanwhile, your husband's out like making art. <laughs> Not to sound bitter or anything. Um <laughs> Uh, so so I had written this one person show and I had written a number of monologues before them which the Neo Futurarium either produced in tandem with other people's monologues like as in an evening of monologues <laughs> I, did, I did an evening of monologues with Diana Slickman, Rachel Claff and Anita Loomis when I was highly, hugely pregnant with the twins and I looked like a circus freak It was crazy I was very skinny because I had these two baby boys inside of me who were eating everything, yeah. and I was getting none of it. So like I had this long drawn face, and then I was straight out. I mean, my no one can see this. I'm making an, <laughs> I'm making a motion with my hands to show where my belly was. It was way out in front. Um. I I mean I was I I just. <sighs> I was huge. I was huge. And my doctor told me, oh, you have these twins inside of you, and you need to be on bed rest. You can't you can't do anything. And I was like, well, that's cool for school. Uh, but then I told my girls, my girls at the Neo-Futurarium, and I hadn't really written my piece yet, and I said, oh, girls, I'm sorry. I have to be on bed rest, so... I'm afraid, you know, maybe I can't take part in this show that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And and Diana Slickman looked me dead in the eye and said, that's fine. We'll bring a bet on stage. (laughs) Yes. And they did. Yes. Yes. And I performed a monologue about giving birth Mm -hmm. to dragons, (laughs) which is why I said, you know, lies are okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But it wasn't a lie, it was the truth. Uh, I was giving birth to dragons. In a matter of speaking, everything's yes. a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I did this show, I did this piece from a bed on the stage. Hugely pregnant. And the audience kind of didn't know what to make of it. Because I started out actually with a broadsword, swinging a broadsword around, talking about sword and, and, and sorcery fantasy mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, and that lasts all of like three minutes. Yeah. And then I took off my shirt. And I put on a nightgown. And when I took off my shirt, everyone got to see my pregnant belly. Not a lot of people get to see that. So they were all just kind of like, holy cow. And I went in the course of six weeks from pregnant woman to medical emergency on that stage. I don't know if anyone was listening to me at the end. Mm -hmm. And I truly regret that I didn't take advantage of that and sometime during the performance, kind of go, oh, oh, and pretend that I was having, <laughs> yeah, having the uh, contractions. That would have been fun. That would have been like shouting fire in yeah. you know, the theater, you know. And it wouldn't have been fair to my fellow performers, so. And they were so nice to me. And, um, and here, here, well, back again, circling around to my father. My dad died. Um, when I was hugely pregnant with the boys and in the middle of this show. And I called up, it was Diana Slickman, Rachel Claff, Anita Loomis, I called them up and I said, well, my dad is dead and I'm burying him, we are burying him Friday morning. And they said, we'll call off the show. And I said, no, we do not call off the show. The only thing that is keeping me going is the idea that after I bury my father, I can walk slowly <laughs> up those very steep steps mm-hmm. to the Neo-Futurarium and be with my people mm. and perform mm. something that is honest, yeah. but not that is about what I'm going through right now. And, um, and it, was, it was wonderful. It was that whole business of you found another family you know, you found another family. They had made up my bed for me exactly the way I liked it. There was tea waiting. There were some cookies. They put me, they took care of me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I showed up and they just took great care of me, better care of me than, you know, a lot of family would. And I knew I sort of had found it, had made the right choice that while I was bringing these boys into the world, uh, I had found a world that I could live with. You know, and and now I just sort of hope that they can find that. My boys, by the way, are just not artists at Mm -hmm. all. Lovely, lovely human beings, and they're going to make the world a better place. They're studying environmental science. Yeah, Yeah. so that's that's fine. That's fine. Um, But my daughter is an artist. My daughter's in visual arts.
0: Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. So you teach acting, directing,
1: and solo performance. Where do you get your biggest inspiration from in your students, you think? Oh, it's solo performance. I mean, I love... I get to teach a musical theater class because I dabbled in musical theater. Because as I tell students, you know, I was in a musical once, so I get to teach this. I love going into the musical theater class because I like to hear them sing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I spend two hours people singing at me. And it's great. uh, Except for when they have a really hard time singing at me, which sometimes they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, honey. Um, <laughs> no, I'm a better teacher than that. But uh, my real inspiration comes from solo performance, and um, it kind of helps me get through my day because mm-hmm. I am a pessimist at heart, and I think I never walk into a room full of people without saying to myself, this is going to be a train wreck. I walk in with that. Um, People terrify me. I I think I don't trust them, you know. Mm -hmm. Strangers, we don't trust strangers. Um, And every time something amazing happens in this world, I hear more about something dreadful that happens in this world. And some person is behind it, Mm -hmm. you know. And right now, especially, that's just... (sighs) We don't turn on the radio, and we don't turn, we, the good old NPR, which is our demographic, you know, uh-huh. yeah. we live in Oak Park, we're middle-aged, we listen to NPR, <laughs> yeah. we don't turn it on anymore. Yeah. Big groups of people are really, really scary, mm-hmm. and strangers are really, really scary, so you walk into solo performance, and there's a whole bunch of people there, and you you guys can't understand. You really are a little terrifying. You 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 know they probably think I'm terrifying because I'm walking in and I'm oh I'm the authority, okay. uh, but students are terrifying because you walk in there and you're like I have to show you something you haven't seen before. I have to open up your mind in some way, and everyone's mind is a bit of a lockbox. We're careful about what we open up and let in. And then the minute they start talking, the minute I ask them, well, you guys are doing it to me right now. The minute I ask them to open up and start to talk, I go, oh, oh, you're not scary at all. You're just, you have, you got up this morning and you didn't have time for breakfast. And you picked the underpants that you don't like because your laundry, your laundry needs doing. And you have a cat that you love. And so, you know, I get to hear, I'm just so lucky. I feel like I'm the luckiest faculty member in all of Columbia College because I get to hear what nobody else does. Mm-hmm. And I don't tell anybody else about any of it. It's my thing. It's my secret room. And they come in there and they tell us, they tell not just me, but each other their stories. Yeah. And I go, I, I had no idea that was going on with you. I had you in class last year. I didn't know that was going on with you. That's crazy, that thing that's going on with you. <laughs> you know, and they become individuals, and they become lovely. And through their stories, they become whole human beings instead of a task mm-hmm. or a challenge or or someone who just refuses to learn or listen to me. Uh, they become honest to God, full fledged human beings. So I tend to walk out of that classroom both exhausted and jubilant, often very exhausted because listening to people's stories and I don't know if you're running into this with the podcast. At the end of the day you're just kind of like, oh God, I just had all of that put on me. And and I, I first of all I didn't know about this stuff. And second, there's just this person walking out in the world. <laughs> and there there's so much going on with them. And um and we walk the streets with this face on. Like, nothing's going to get to me, nothing's going um, to... And, you know, I think sometimes when I'm aware of my face, when I walk down the street, I try to smile lately. And I think possibly I might look like the village idiot a little bit, you know, because, because really, how many people do you see walking down the street just smiling? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it used to be a defense mechanism, the smile. It was like, I'm harmless, don't hurt me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now it's it's okay, it's okay, everybody. We're gonna be okay, it's gonna be fine. If you look at my face, you'll see you're gonna be fine, I'm gonna be fine, we're all gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're not, and I don't know anything about you, and I don't know anything about your pain. Um, but the thing is, is the and the thing that I've learned uh from solo is no matter where they come from no matter who they are no matter their background or what it is they want in life is all living creatures suffer Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and our suffering is made bearable I think sometimes by sharing what was going on what's going on with us Um, and that's I'm still I'm still really really grateful that Sheldon let me start that class. Going back to the top of the question, which is, I went to Sheldon, who was, who was making life very easy for us. And I said, Sheldon, solo performance class. And he went, do it. Um, because that was back in the day when you could just go, hey, wouldn't this kind of class be cool? Mm-hmm. And he would, he would say, let's put it on the books. Um, things have changed uh, much more red tape now much more like if you want to develop a class it has to go through all sorts of hoops Mm -hmm. Um, and there's reasons for that Mm -hmm. but they're boring reasons Mm -hmm. and I'm just lucky that I came in when I did Do you see a big difference in artists like Columbia? Yes Yes People are more careful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if that was about consideration then I wouldn't be critical of it. But right now there's a care going on with my students in that it's not that they're really being, I don't feel like they're being considerate. I feel like they're afraid to say something because someone else is going to say, you can't say that, Mm -hmm. that's wrong you know, um, there's, uh, there are, there are, you know, back in the day, there were no words that were off limits. There were words people wouldn't say because they reflected badly upon you as a human being. And so we did not say them, you know, but now there's, there's, there's rules and regulations or there's, there, uh, there's trying to be rules and regulations. And I don't know if that's, what's going to happen with that. Um, I'm a big believer in in personal pronouns, um, and and I still have a hard time with it, and my students are very, very generous and patient with me, because lifetime of gendered language here, so I'm trying to learn how not to do that, and and I I really believe in that. I believe you should be called whatever you want to be called. And I, I respect that, but I also think that maybe when you're making art, you shouldn't be worried about who you're going to offend mm-hmm. that, that really bothers me. Um, that really bothers me. Um, so there is that there's a there's a, a cautiousness that I think is an anathema to actual art And also since I'm dwelling in the negative right now mm-hmm. it's the influencer. Age. It's the Instagram age. It's. I have more actors. Well, I don't really teach an acting class right mm-hmm. now, which I think I'm happy about mm-hmm. because the the musical theater students who show up they have to be trained. Yeah, they have to know how to do something right. Actors. People come into the acting department because they want to be famous. Because they want to be noticed. Mm-hmm because they want to, you know, they, they want to be an influencer. They, they don't actually really like theater that much, I suspect. And after my rant about, you know, <laughs> theater, I can hardly blame them, except there is, I mean, the craft is incredible. It's an incredible craft. Um, so I... Uh, there are a lot of people who think that acting is just like posing and getting your picture taken. And, and part of us all, we all want to be noticed. Mm-hmm. You know, We all want to be, well, I can't say the center of, but those of us who pursue theater, I mean, there's a little bit of ham in us. We can be shy. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to being on stage, there's a little bit of ham in us. We want to be seen. We want to be noticed. Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to be seen. Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to be noticed. Everyone wants to be heard. And that's where I think solo performance comes in, actually, is because in that class you are actually heard. You are heard. Um, At the same time, I think that many of our students are more aware of their environment, both uh, politically, uh, uh, environmentally. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of, uh, there's a bit of a grim sense from the students right now that they just don't think they, that there's much of a future in store mm-hmm. for, you know, your generation, their generation. Uh, but they've decided to become actors. So it's kind of like, no, all right, okay, so how does that square? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I, you know, I, I, people talk politics more. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to avoid it. Um, but I, I do think they are more interested in things that are not strict narrative theater. I think that's starting to trickle down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's actually showing in, in theaters all over the country a little bit, is, mm-hmm. is, you know, that narrative arc does not necessarily have to be there. Um, that that you can put a bunch of girls on stage with a soccer ball, you know, like, and and um, and just uh, see what their life was like. Uh, um, there's there's more of a sense of experimentation, not goofy 1960s early Sam Shepard experimentation, mm-hmm. but a sense of hey, here's some theater. How can we fuck it up? Mm-hmm. How can, we, how can we make it a different color from the color that it usually is? How can we change the shape of it and the shape of things? Um, so there I think there's more interest in that. and I'm certainly I'm certainly hoping to help that along. Um, I do. One of my projects. I'm going to say it out loud because then I'll do it. I'm I'm hoping for October to start a series of staged readings called Horror on the Hoof. Um, uh, Readings of classic, staged readings of classic horror films. Oh, yeah. Um, Because I want to do Rosemary's Baby (laughs) really badly. Because I did Suspiria two years ago, and Suspiria was so much fun. And I'm really interested in the way... uh, things change when you take them, pluck them out of one medium, and plop them down in another medium, and how absurd it is mm-hmm. when you take a film and you put it on the stage. Mm-hmm. And that grew from the neo-futurarium. We had a festival of, uh, of staged readings of bad films, B-films, <laughs> for which I did do Suspiria, uh, and, and it was bloody and marvelous. Um yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, I, think, I think Rosemary's Baby is next. Okay. Uh, and and uh, uh, I, I think we are moving away a little bit from a, a show, a theater show. It has Act 1 and Act 2. If you're lucky, it does not have Act 3. <laughs> all we don't want. <laughs> we Act don't 1 and there. Act 2. Yep. There are lots of pretty lights and there's lots of scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wasteful. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're coming into a time when it's just like, look, well, we can't afford anymore to build these sets and then trash them. Yeah. Which is what we do. I mean, mm-hmm. we still do it at Columbia. We throw away a lot of stuff after a show. I see the big, the big uh, garbage cans outside in the alley. Oh, there goes some walls. Yeah. <laughs> I hate walls on a stage. Nothing I hate more than walls on a right. stage. You gotta build walls. Why? Why do you gotta build walls? Mm-hmm. There's a stage back right there. Yeah, that's a wall. and there's a wall. also and you have a designer who is better who is good for better than just build me a living room. Mm-hmm. Or build me walls so that people will think we're in a living room. And again, that's where the neo has sort of spoiled me for theatre. Because I don't like being lied to. I don't like being told, "Yes, you must really believe you're in a kitchen.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, all, all I do is go, oh, my God, they have running water? How did they get running water? Oh, I mean, that's money right there. Is that yeah. the money? <laughs> running water, Jesus. Their refrigerator is better than my refrigerator. Where did they get that refrigerator? I mean, it's for a play. Yeah. It's for a play and they've got this fabulous refrigerator because it takes place in the kitchen of an affluent couple who are having trouble. An affluent white couple Mm -hmm. who are having, you know, like, well they're going to have friends over and have sex or something. Or they're going to talk about the fact that they had sex with the other person's partner or whatever Mm -hmm. with their beautiful refrigerator and their fabulous furniture. And I'm going... I need a couch so yeah. bad. I would love a couch.
0: <laughs> it's like, hey, are you going to throw that couch out? Afterwards? Yeah, what are I'll you going to do? It. Yeah, I'll right. Take it? It's a We Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. It just—it just seems crazy to be constructing a world when the world needs so much. Um, and it's funny that occurs to me in movies too. I still remember seeing uh, The Lord of the Rings trilogy. I remember seeing the Two Towers and just kind of going. They built that thing, the, the, the Hall of Rohan. They built the Hall of Rohan on a hill in do you remember where it was? It was like at New Zealand yeah, somewhere, summer, right? New Zealand. Uh, and I just remember thinking, well, why don't you build some houses for some people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I loved I loved going in on this fantasy world and I, I love movies and, and stuff like that, right? But can we build a few houses for some people <laughs> while, while we're making the Hall of the Golden Hall of Rohan? You know, I'm, I'm a geek, so I had the directors cut. Yeah. Right? So I, and, I, and, and all the extras on the DVD, so I watched them build this thing. And um, I, movies are really, really expensive, and I can't even talk about that because I'm not in that industry. Mm-hmm. But is there a reason theater has to do that? Does, does theater have to be what movies are to us? And isn't theater supposed to be different? Mm-hmm. And shouldn't we just have like a strip of gauze to yeah. suggest a refrigerator?
0: <laughs> it just has like a handle. I can it see it. I can see it. I can see <laughs> it. Yeah.
1: I'm a big fan of the, the Ivo van Hove stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I loved I loved the fact that they did uh, uh, Arthur Miller. They did View from the Bridge. He did View from the Bridge with a totally empty stage. Yeah. Now, granted, <laughs> it did cost money because. <laughs> eventually it did rain blood on all of them for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's an undertaking. But I gotta say, that's like money well spent. Okay. A rain of blood at the end of the show, I can get behind that for the budget. Mm-hmm. I cannot get behind, like, uh, for King Lear one year, I remember there was a Bob Falls King Lear, and like a Mercedes came rolling on stage. <sighs> Yeah. I don't want to put a moral judgment on it. It's more of a logic thing. Mm -hmm. It's more of a like, while we're at it, let's use our imaginations. Or the gauze. The gauze. Yeah. Yes. He was saying something with the Mercedes, and Mm -hmm. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) We all got it. We all got it. Next. (laughs) You know, if I want to see stuff like that, I will watch Succession on HBO. Well, in regards to the
0: conversation, yes. you're also a director. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: <laughs> wow,
0: um, and you're funny enough. Kind of again a circle. You're mm. in town. You're directing. You're in town
1: again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Are you excited?
1: I I'm a little trepidatious, but okay. I am excited because um, first of all, I was asked to do it, which is always nice. Mm. Mm. Um, it takes some of the load of responsibility off because I can say, "Well, they asked me." Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, doing what they asked me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm really, I'm really interested in seeing how it's changed because the last time I directed been 2006. Mm-hmm. Like I say, the students have changed. Mm-hmm. There's less optimism among the students. Um, more grim determination. Yeah. Um, You know, Greg wrote this thing in 2000, 1999 is when he wrote it, 2000 it was being produced, Um, he never thought it was going to go anywhere, and and when he wrote it, I remember him telling me, we were sitting in the hop leaf, and he said, I'm I'm writing this thing, really, (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm writing this thing. it's about what happens when people have to pay a fee to like, use the toilets. It's about the water shortage that happens after a gigantic environmental disaster. And I went, "Oh, okay, <laughs> sounds good, <Craig>. <laughs> <laughs> Um and, and then that's kind of where the <laughs> where the, <laughs> where, the <laughs> where the conversation ended. Um, lovely guy, but not an easy man to talk to. Always, yeah. uh, at, but. You know, he was taking his environmental concern
0: mm-hmm.
1: to an absurd length. Right? Mm-hmm. He was thinking, let's 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 go really absurd with this. Let's let's take it and see what happens. And um, it occurred to him because he was in traveling in France with very little money, and they had pay toilets there. And you either have to go into a restaurant and they will not let you use the toilet if you're not buying something, mm-hmm. or you have to pay to pee. And he had very little money. And so he came up with this idea. Um, and the whole idea of environmental catastrophe. And oh, environmental catastrophe, that's so funny. And here we are. Mm-hmm. And it, we are in an environmental catastrophe. And his absurd premise—I mean, we haven't gotten so far as regulating peeing. Yeah. So uh, uh, it not only we are we are deeper in. We're not even on the edge of the abyss that Greg imagined twenty years ago. We are in the abyss. It is happening. Um, so how funny is it going to? Be. I still think because the writing is sharp, and yeah, funny yeah. as hell, and it's hysterical. But I wonder, I, I wonder what it's going to feel like, what it's going to taste like, what it's going to mm. look like, how it's going to be different. And there's always the well, I don't want it to look like uh, it looked. Like in, in 2006, although it looked so good. How am I going to, what else can I do? Because I really, that was, you know, that was the one. That was, I don't like to revisit things I've done before. Because I figure, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it'll be an interesting exercise. I'm, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a show uh, where, uh, you know, the students can laugh in the face of catastrophe and I've already gotten an email from a student that I don't even know mm-hmm. saying hey you don't know me but I was thinking maybe we could put up collection boxes or something outside of the bathrooms during a mission for, for town and collect for like clean water for Flint or something like that but since that's basically what the show is about paying to pee what if we put Collection boxes right outside of the restrooms. And they sent me that email, like, you know, back in um, May when yeah. word we went out that what we were doing. And I emailed them right back and said, Yeah, that's a great idea. Thank you so much. And let's, let's look into that when the time comes. I'll put someone on it. <laughs> <laughs> I have my assistant. <laughs> my, my AD whoever they happen to be I'll they have them signed to me. Yes, I'll have them look up uh, where to send money and, and how to get money how to, how to collect without being a bastard about it you know?
0: yeah. well as
1: we are starting to wrap up yes. yes, is there any last minute advice you want to give to any of our artists who are listening <laughs> yeah don't follow any rules don't follow any rules, and everything is art. And I'm mm-hmm. going to paraphrase Toni Morrison here because I'm so moved by her lately, and because yeah. because after her death, like all of her quotations started floating up, and each and every one of them is so beautiful. But one of them, and I will paraphrase because I don't remember it very well, is just that um, there is art in the world without us having to do anything about it. We just it's important to observe it, you know. There's mm-hmm. there's art. In what already exists, we don't need to canonize it. We don't. We don't even need to produce it. It's enough to observe it. And um, I think that's just so beautiful. And uh, uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to live like that because for artists, there is that sense of like, oh, must produce, must produce, must produce. And I think we should hang on to that. But I also think we should produce what we produce naturally with no additives, (laughs) no chemical ingredients, and no sense that we have to pander to anyone or anything, that each of us has pure potential to put art out into the world. Even if it's just a fucking Marie Kondo perfectly folded shirt. I don't care what you did today. That was a piece of art. Mm Um, so, you know, hang on, keep making the art um, and, and and, keep noticing what is actual art and what is filler. What is Captain Crunch? Well, now oh, it's oh. time for everyone's favorite game. Okay. At least our favorite. At least ours. I'm scary, scary. All right.
0: Three, two, one, go.
1: Coffee or tea? Coffee.
0: Favorite food? Uh, pizza. The best part of waking up is.
1: Getting to sleep for five more minutes. <laughs>
0: Scariest movie you've seen. Ah! Oh,
1: ah! Oh, ah! Oh. oh God, there's so many of them. I ah. oh, no. <laughs> um, okay, Midsummer was pretty damn scary. Okay, okay. okay.
0: great. Uh, do you have any uh, tattoos?
1: Not a one.
0: <laughs> Favorite part of the human face? The mouth. What's the best way to spend a
1: rainy afternoon? Um, Reading something that I read a long time ago and really enjoyed but haven't thought about reading until there was nothing to do.
0: Name something in your fridge.
1: Lemon hummus. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Morning or night person? Afternoon. Do
0: you you think a hot dog is a sandwich?
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Brendan or Brandon? (sighs) Depending on whatever they want me to call them, I'll try to remember to call them.
0: (laughs) Deal or no deal?
1: Deal. Left twigs or right twigs? Left.
0: Do you believe in ghosts?
1: Yes. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Yes.
0: What would you do for a Klondike bar?
1: I don't care for Klondike bars. Okay, Uh, okay. Do you have an alcoholic drink of choice? Uh, right now it's a gin and tonic with just a splash of elderflower liqueur, and in the winter it is, ma- it is a, a, a maker's mark on the rocks. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. What is your name? Stephanie Louise Shaw.
0: What is your quest?
1: My quest is often to get through the day, but if I can get through the day with a little art and a little grace, I'll go to bed happy. <laughs> what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Oh, damn it, Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> Go to hell, Monty Python. I can't remember. And I should. But I can tell you that you are all individuals.
0: <laughs> and finally, are you afraid of a wolf? Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is our two minutes. That's awesome. Ooh, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. it was really exciting. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to steal it for a uh, solo performance. Wait. Stephanie, thank you again for joining us. You're so welcome. We do have, one, loved final, it. We do
0: have one final Actually, question. Actually, I have
1: like two final oh, questions. Oh, you have two more final First questions. First right.
0: uh, can you please give us a namaste, motherfucker?
1: Oh, sure. <laughs> namaste, motherfucker. Oh! So,
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, okay, our, our final question. Okay.
1: Are your parents proud of you? In the abstract, Yes. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you again. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>
1: thank you. And scene
0: <laughs> That was our conversation with Stephanie Shaw. Lovely. And, and honestly, great. kind of a really emotional kind of roller coaster. Yeah. Great story. Some wild stories, especially about like birth and dragons. <laughs> I know. What Game of Thrones episode, right there. <laughs> um, so of course, this episode would not be possible without Griffin McCorkle. Our photographer for the yes series. And so if you like what you hear, make sure to follow us on social media. Yep. All the Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, at Parents Proud Podcast on Instagram. And that is also the same for our email account. Just add a Gmail. Just add a Gmail for your questions, comments, and future guest ideas. And that is it for today's episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. I am Matthew Schoenfreiter. I'm Connor Brown. Signing off for now.
1: Doodles.